This evening's reading is Exodus chapter 31. It's on page 90 of your church Bibles. Bezalel and Oholiab. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Oholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant law, with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrance incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I command you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Emily. Well done with the names. I, um, I've been struggling with those names all week, so I'm going to be getting them wrong every single time tonight. Um, enjoy that. Um, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to uh, people here. Um, happy Father's Day, especially if you're celebrating today. Um, but also, uh, we recognize as a church there are people among us who, for whom that's not an easy day. Um, and we just want you to know that we're with you as well. Um, can I just pray for the fathers? Is that right? Do that. God, we thank you for um, the fathers and father figures in our lives. We thank you for um, those people in our lives who've modeled uh, you to us, our Heavenly Father. We thank you for um, people whose shoulders we stand upon in faith. And we pray for, for them now. Pray your blessing on them. And for our children, Lord, we pray uh, your blessing on them too. May they... May they grow up to be less like us and more like you, God. Amen. Amen. Um, we are going to look at um, creativity and the Holy Spirit today. Um, why don't you turn, uh, as I sort myself out with furniture and stuff, uh, why don't you turn to the person next to you and if you have a favorite piece of artwork, why don't you tell them about that piece of artwork, that person you met earlier. You've got like 20 seconds to do it. If we could turn back to um, back together, that would be really great. Thank you very much. George, have you gone for a wonder? Sorry, I didn't mean to be mean. Apparently you were nice to me in the sermon earlier, and I've just been mean to you, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, can I ask, uh, by a show of hands, does anyone here consider themselves an artist? Do we? A few people? A few people around the room? Fantastic. For me, that feels like a really loaded term, the, the, the title artist. I've, it's something I've always struggled with. Um, I, uh, so, sorry, my name's Sam, by the way. Hi, I uh, work with students here. Uh, but I also, alongside that, I do uh, photography. I've worked for a couple of years as a photographer. I've done weddings and family shoots and those kind of things, and just love playing with my camera. Um, and I've grown up in a family of, of artists. Uh, my mum was an artist. My brother and sister both studied arts at uni. And um, 
And I kind of grew up thinking I was a bit more scientific, a bit more like my dad um, with regard to that. But more recently, over the last kind of five or six years or so, uh, I took up, took up photography as a way to kind of connect with um, the memory of my mum, who I said was an artist, and just found that so freeing. But I've always found that label of being an artist really difficult to, uh, to claim. Like, I love creativity. I love beautiful things. Um, dreamers and makers are my favorite people, but I feel a real pressure around the term artist. This is something that happened to me the other day. Uh, this is a photo I was taking. I don't particularly like it, but um, as I was taking it, a man came over and asked me what I was doing. And he was interested in the way that artists see the world. And he came over to me and he asked me some questions around this. Firstly, people rarely come over to me, uh, strangers, which maybe are not that approachable. But it was great in that, that respect. But I loved what he did was he came over and he assumed I was an artist before he ever saw my work. Like the act of creating was more important than what was produced. And that's not necessarily part of my sermon tonight, but maybe you need to hear that. Maybe there are people in the room who, like me, needed to hear that. What you're doing is quite possibly more important than the end result. And God, like that strange old man, um, is willing to call you an artist, and so are we. So in, from this passage, I want to draw out several points around how we create and, and how we use creativity and worship. And we're going to come on to that. But first, I want to just address why, as a church, it's really vital that we engage with creativity. It might not be something that people, that everyone in this room feels they have a connection to. You might be feeling, well, this is a talk for the artists, the kind of touchy-feely types who like painting. Uh, that's not me. It is for those people, but it's also for you. The mission of the church is and has always been to reach all peoples, to take the gospel out into the world and make disciples. If you've ever looked at Myers-Briggs personality profiles, um, and you'll know that it splits the population into uh, 16 different categories along um, kind of um, four different sections, and there's two options for each of them. Um, I'm an INFP, which uh, means introverted, uh, intuitive thinker, feelings-driven, and perceiving. Um, famous examples are A.A. Milne and Hagrid. So, <laughs> good company. Uh, the opposite of that is uh, extroverted, kind of sensing-orientated, uh, thinking-driven, um, and judgment, uh, judgment, yeah, driven as well. But the one I want to focus on tonight is the N and the S part of that. So sorry if that doesn't make any sense to you. I'll explain these two bits a bit, bit better. So the N and the S stand for intuitive and sensing, intuition and sensing. These are people who either decide things, uh, so intuition uh, is people who decide things from uh, what has happened in the past and what will happen in the future and have that kind of perspective of, on things. And sensing is people who decide things on what is happening in the present. People who either want information or an experience, generally. And as a general population, uh, we come out at about 68% sensing. 68% of people who are more kind of uh, in, the, in the moment present driven. This is often a, an attribute that uh, is found in artists. They are more constant, uh, constantly in the present and constantly aware of what is around them. 
But as the UK church, uh, we come out at about 25% of us are sensing over intuition. And that means there are a massive amount of people that we are not reaching. The uh, about 44 million people who favor sensing over intuition in the UK and about 1.5 million of them are in the church. Us, us church services are often structured around this kind of sermon that will take you through certain points. Maybe you've shut off as I start talking about kind of stats and figures. Uh, it probably means you're in that 25%. But actually, where, where in our services and in our gatherings and in our worship is an experience of sensory, uh, experience of God. And that's what art can offer. We do have worship, uh, sung worship. But art can add to that and can, can boost that and can maybe reach those people who we're just not reaching at the moment. It might not be something that you necessarily enjoy, but it might speak to other people on a completely different level. Secondly, art and creating, um, and creating beauty especially, may seem wasteful when our mission is so great and so incomplete that we need to reach more people with the gospel, right? We want to do that. When social justice is so important, and so vital. And preaching the words of God for all to hear is so important. That why would we waste time on creating things when we could be going out and telling people the gospel? Well, we only have to look at the life of Jesus to realize that his values were different to ours, are different to ours. My favorite example of this is in Luke 24. And it's after Jesus has died and rose again. It's a day of great celebration. God has conquered death. He, as we just sang in that song, he is living hope. He is, he is the resurrection embodied. He's, anyone in their right mind would be running around doing high fives, celebration, victory laps, right? We'd be, we'd be getting big crowds around us. We'd be telling everyone about this. And that same day that Jesus was raised from the dead, he spends, he walks seven miles with two people. And then he goes and has dinner with them. Because that's the kind of thing he prioritizes. He prioritizes those individuals who he could reach and who he could tell the good news to. There's this theologian with a fantastic name. He's Ben Witherington III, because he's important. Uh, says of this passage that we're looking at in Exodus, uh, he says, sometimes Christians, especially frugal ones, think that creating of elaborate, beautiful works of art worth lots of money is itself either a waste of money or at least not good stewardship, if it is not simply sinful altogether. What this story in Exodus suggests is that it is just the opposite. John Mark Homer, who um, wrote an amazing book called Garden City, which I would really recommend. Uh, if you need a copy, I've got several above my desk. He says this, as people made in his image, in God's image, all work is artistic. All work is inherently creative. All work from painting to parenting is reshaping the raw materials of planet Earth in such a way that it's how God intended, how it's supposed to be. All humans can thrive as they see God's glory. So as we turn back to the passage, um, there are, I think, two main things that I want us to take away from uh, Belezalil and Elihabab's example, <laughs> close enough. Uh, the Holy Spirit and collaboration. 
And what I want to first show is how the Holy Spirit is linked to a word that we might use as genius. Um, genius is a heavy term, especially when we attribute it to creative acts. Um, who would, can people shout out, who would um, you describe in cultural or in culture or history uh, as geniuses? Who would we describe as geniuses? Einstein, yeah, good, good example. Mozart, Mozart fantastic. Leonardo, yeah, all the great. Churchill. Winston Churchill, great. Yeah, Michelangelo, Stephen Hawking, fantastic, all really great examples. Um, kind of heavy, heavy acts to follow, right? Um, I've got, yeah, a few down here. They were less lofty than yours, so I'll go with yours. Uh, mine had Jay-Z on there, but that's fine. Uh, that's the kind of level that we often talk about with the word genius. The once-in-a-generation talent that people aspire to, like Jay-Z. Genius is a word that the Romans coined, uh, that during the Renaissance, uh, we changed how, the, how it meant, what it meant, and we changed how we use that term. Where we refer to people as being a genius, they refer to people as having a genius. Originally, it meant this elusive creative spirit that like lived in your walls and would kind of seep into your brain, I don't know, and inspire you, and inspire the person who lived in that house. And so for them, creating had far less pressure than it did, does for us. If you were amazing, well, you clearly had an amazing genius that lived in your walls. And if you were rubbish, well, then everyone knew that your genius was probably pretty lousy. So it wasn't your fault. The pressure was off. But there is often an overwhelming nervousness that we feel around creating, around bringing something out of nothing and putting it out into the world. What will people think of this? How will this be received? Will it matter? Is this the nervousness that you think uh, Belezalil and Eliadab felt? As I said before, I do photography, um, and I feel a real weight when I'm doing pe people's wedding photography. It's such an important day. It's such a massive privilege that I get to, I get to basically spend the most time with people on their wedding day. It's fantastic. Um, but I feel a real, there's a real weight to that. But what I'm creating isn't quite as high stakes as, as in this passage. Um, it's not going to reflect Yahweh to the entirety of creation. I'm not that good. Um, but actually, that's what they were doing in this passage. They were building an ark for the presence of God to be in. These were craftsmen who were tasked with, with building a beautiful object filled with, uh, covered with the most beautiful ornate gold, the most beautiful patterns. And they were tasked with doing that. Now we know, and in the Bible it says that these people were filled with the Spirit of God for creating. We know that we have the Holy Spirit within us, right? We're okay with that? Okay, no nods. Okay, we have the Holy Spirit within us. Um, if the Bible says that, it makes it clear that anyone who says Jesus is Lord has the Holy Spirit within them. So what if we had adopted that same attitude towards creating? Verse 3 of, of this passage uh, says this, And I have filled him, Belezalel, with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. God gave him those skills. As we looked at a few weeks ago, and as we say over our offering, 
um, we've been given these things. And so we're just giving them back to you. God gave him the gifting. This is an important instance in the Bible because it's the first instance of anyone being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it happens for creation, for the act of creation. That's the value that God places on this creative work. And it's humbling to those who are creating because um, it means that, yes, Belezalil can feel happy about his work, but if it's amazing, then he can't take the credit because he was filled with the Spirit of God to do it. Um, and equally, if it didn't turn out quite to plan, then maybe it wasn't, he wasn't to blame. Again, the pressure's off. So how do we do that? I'm pretty sure the way that we do that is we ask. We ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit before we create. Often we do things and then we ask God to bless them. Uh, and we, we ask for kind of retrospective blessing on what we've already done and the decisions we've already made. What I would suggest with creating is that we, we need to take a moment. We need to pause. We need to invite the Holy Spirit into what we're doing to join us in creating and see what happens. One of my favorite throwaway lines from the Bible is in Genesis uh, 1, verse 16. Could somebody read that for us? Somebody up for that. Genesis 1, verse 16. It's page 1 of your Bibles, uh, if you want to turn there. Does someone want to read that nice and loud? Yeah, Matt, thanks. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. Fantastic. He also made the stars. I love that that's a throwaway line for God. The beautiful, majestic, overwhelming canopy, if you've ever laid out on a clear night where there's no streetlights around, you see this incredible vista. And it's just a side note to God's creative capabilities. That's the person we're inviting into our creative process. That's the person we're asking to join us. And in light of that, we're not here to impress him. He made the stars. But we're here to work with him to show something of that magnificent beauty to the world. Okay, secondly, collaboration. Notice in this passage in Exodus 31, there are two big names, uh, Belezalel and Eliabab, getting there. Um, but there are other craftsmen involved. As you look down the passage, there are other people involved in this work of creating Creating and, and working and bringing something out of nothing is vulnerable. But when we share it with others, it becomes more sustainable, it becomes more diverse and far more fun. And when we create together, and again, the added bonus is humility for them. Neither of these two great craftsmen or any of the people they worked with could claim the glory because they relied on each other. They worked with each other. They shared that credit. And humility becomes a part of the process rather than something you have to hunt for afterwards. So again, how does that work in practice? Invite others to join you in, in what you're creating. Invite other people that you know enjoy creating into your creative process. 
um, whenever I'm photographing weddings, I often try and bring along another friend who I know is good with a camera, and, um, and it's been so much fun to work with them. It's less pressured, it's more enjoyable, um, and often, actually for them, it's, a, it's the first chance for them to get paid for their work, and artists' work should be valued. For the series videos that we've done at Christchurch, like the Luke one and the God's Strength one, um, we've always tried to get a range of people involved. For that last one, the Luke series, um, last time I filmed uh, with Michael, Louise, and and Beth were with us. Uh, Jess wrote the script, and Naomi did the voiceover work, and it was so much more fun because we did it together. One final note on this passage before um, before we ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us. For these craftsmen, this wasn't the first time they'd done work. They'd practiced this. They were known as good craftsmen. The community knew they were good at what they did. Because they'd worked hard at it. There's a Banksy quote that says, um, so many artists are willing to suffer for their art, but so few are prepared to learn how to draw. And we need to learn how to do these things. We need to practice these things. It takes showing up. We invite God into the process, but we also need to be there too. If you want to work on the ark, you have to put in the legwork behind the scenes. You have to train. And it will be in that season of obscurity, that season of you not being seen, of you practicing on your own, or practicing in, in outside the limelight. That's where God wants to show you what the calling is on your life. That's where God wants to show you what he has for you. Our practice, uh, our, our calling rather, uh, it's worked out in public, but it's given to us in private. Our calling is worked out in public, but it's given to us in the private. Finally, we all have a calling to create, however that looks, whether that is... Um, yeah, as John Mark Homer said, from painting to parenting, or um, actually I can see you, Heather and, and Perry, what you do at Bespoke Biking, where you, you build bikes, incredible. Um, by the way, my wife refers to you as Bespoke Heather and Bespoke Perry. I like it, we should use that more. But actually what we do when we create things, when we build businesses, when we train people up, when we invest in people, when we take the raw materials of the world, and we turn it into something that reflects the glory of God. In Genesis 1, which is one of our models for what a perfect world could look like, we are told to fill the earth and subdue it. That word in Hebrew is uh, kabosh. Jack, where's Jack? There you go, you always have a go at me for using this too much. So Jack, what does the word kabosh mean? Culture. Yeah, great. To create culture, that's what kabosh means to fill the earth and create culture. That's our God-given mandate. In a perfect world, we should be creating culture. We reflect God to the world, and we create in all that we do. This is a quote that I've had on my laptop. I've had it taped to my laptop for a few years. You probably can't read it, so I'll read it out. It just says, just do your work. And if the world needs your work, it will come and find you. And if not, do your work anyway. Let's get involved. Let's create culture.
And if it's good enough to show people, then yeah, let's do it. But if not, let's create it for the sake of doing what God has given us, of using the gifts that God has given us. So how do we respond to this? We create to use these gifts. Um, at the bottom of the, the uh, front page of the service sheet, Brian has set us a challenge. I don't know if you've read it yet. Um, but next week, we would love to fill the apps with examples of your creative works. We would love to fill it with a diverse range of whatever you want to bring. Um, if you've got something that's maybe slightly awkward to display or difficult, you can't work out how to display it, come chat to me or George or someone. Uh, it's preferably during the week, not next Sunday morning. But we want to help you show those gifts and reflect those gifts, that we can worship using your gifts and your talents, as well as in song. But before we create, um, as we turn back to worship, let's take time to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jack, do you and the band want to come up and, and join us? And as, uh, as a prayer ministry team, we're going to wait over there. And if anybody would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit for either these acts of creation or for anything that you've got in your week coming up, for any conversations you need to have, for any ways that you are um, molding the raw materials of the world into what God would have it be, then uh, we want to wait over there and we want to just pray simply that God will fill you with the Holy Spirit.